All right. Matthew chapter 5, page 1115, if you're using that Bible under the seat in front of you. We're going verse by verse through the famous sermon that Jesus delivered, the Sermon on the Mount here on Sunday mornings. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for telling us truth, even when it's really hard and convicting. Thank you that there is hope in knowing you, that there is forgiveness of all sin through faith in you. Thank you for that, Lord. Speak to us this morning. Help us to apply your word to our lives in practical ways by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in this section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is giving his standards for righteous living. And I'll tell you, Jesus does expect a lot of us as his kingdom people. And his standards are really high. For instance, you remember last week, we learned that it's possible to commit the sin of murder in your heart with a sinful anger or hatred in your heart. Jesus looks inward, not just outward. Look what he says to us today in this passage beginning in verse 27. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is quoting verbatim from the Ten Commandments, the Seventh Commandment of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. Sexual purity is very important for kingdom people in the kingdom of Christ. My brother, my sister in Christ, we are to be sexually pure. Now, there is one word in the Greek language that speaks of all the different acts of sexual immorality. It's the Greek word porneia. We get our English term pornography from that word. It speaks of all sexually immoral acts. So sex before marriage living in a sexual relationship, and you're not married. Adultery, homosexuality, prostitution, bestiality, the production and distribution of pornographic material in film, literature, or on the Internet. That's pornea. In other words, all sexual activity outside the boundaries of legal marriage 
between one man and one woman is sin, according to the scripture. And we are not to engage in those activities. In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. This is stuff that shouldn't even be named among the body of Christ. Now, the sin of adultery is when a married man has sexual relations with anyone else other than his wife. Or a married woman has sexual relations with anyone other than her husband. If you cheat on your spouse, if you have an affair, you have committed the sin of adultery. You are an adulterer. The world might call it an affair. But it's a terrible sin. And by the way, these commands in scripture concerning sexual purity are there to protect us. You get into a lot of trouble in sexual sin. The sin of adultery is a powder keg of destruction. It can destroy a marriage, a family. It can ruin a reputation, a career. It can destroy your finances. It destroys corporations. It can ruin a ministry. It can ruin a church, governments, kingdoms, military. It's a terrible, destructive sin. It can lead to bitterness and hatred, jealousy, murder. I had a dear friend when I was growing up, living in Albuquerque, um, around... 12, 13, early teens. And one night he was over at our house uh, for a sleepover. We were hanging out. And I actually was given the pleasure of leading that person to Christ, leading him to Christ. One of the first few that I ever had the pleasure of leading to Christ. It was so awesome. Well, I lost touch with him over the years. Hadn't spoke to him for years. And One day, my mom called with tragic news out of Albuquerque. He had found out that his wife was unfaithful to him, and he snapped. He hunted both of them down and shot them dead, and then took his own life on the outdoor front steps of his local church. That's where adultery can lead. How many times has that been repeated over and over throughout human history? All sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage can lead to all kinds of hardship. So kingdom people should not commit the sin of adultery. Now, the the rabbis, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious elite... When they commented on this seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, of course, as you would expect, they focused on the act of adultery. If you committed the sin of adultery, that's what made you an adulterer. They didn't think of any of the sinful thoughts inside that can lead to that. They pretended not to be aware of that because I actually believe the law did hint 
at the fact that you could commit those sins inwardly. Not here in the seventh commandment, but the tenth commandment of the top ten says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Coveting your neighbor's wife, that's inward. But just so everyone knew for sure, Jesus made it absolutely clear by his authority that you can commit that sin in the heart. In verse 28, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So how do you commit the sin of adultery in your heart, guys? It's by looking at a woman to lust for her. Ladies, it's by looking at a man to lust for him. Now let's be really clear what's being said. This does not mean that we can't notice that somebody's attractive. Cute, handsome, pretty. Jesus is not speaking of the natural, normal desire, which is part of human instinct and human nature. He's not speaking of that. It's not the first look. The world is filled with attractive people. They're walking around. It's not the first look. It's the double take. It's the second look, the third look. The long, lustful look, where you begin to enter into sexual fantasy about that person. You begin to say to yourself, well, if I had the opportunity. That's the sin. A.B. Bruce writes, the look is not casual, but persistent. The desire not involuntary or momentary, but cherished. Someone else said, the man who is condemned is the man who deliberately uses his eyes to awaken his lust. The man who looks in such a way that passion is awakened and desire deliberately stimulated. But you might say, well, I can't help what I think about. I've heard that. I can't help it. Listen, you can help the first look. You can't. Help the first look, but you can help the second and third and fourth looks. You can choose what you're going to dwell on. Martin Luther famously said, You can't keep birds flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. So any time in your mind or in your heart, when something crosses from admiration or an appreciation of beauty to that of sexual lust you've committed the sin of adultery in your heart and that can happen with somebody you know somebody you work with somebody you see that can happen with somebody that you don't know If you seek out pornographic material to lust after someone, you've committed the sin of adultery. If there are those TV shows that you like to watch that titillate you, 
That's the sin of adultery. If you follow someone on social media, perhaps a celebrity or someone, to look at that person, to lust after that person, you've committed that sin. Any time that line is crossed, where it moves in your thinking, in your heart, to lust, you've committed that sin. Now, those are high standards. By those standards, I believe all are guilty of the seventh commandment. Who could say that they've never in all their life ever had that happen in their mind? Now, careful here. Don't play a game. Don't think to yourself, well, if I commit the sin of adultery in my heart, I might as well go through with it with that person. That'll get you in big, big trouble. There is a difference there. But for kingdom people, the standard is we are not to commit the sin of adultery, nor are we to commit that sin in our hearts. So how do we win that battle? How do we fight against that? How do we maintain sexual purity on the inside, especially when we live in such a sex-saturated Society, seductive images, sexual innuendos are everywhere. They're on the TV programs, commercials, literature, billboards, social media apps, filthy lyrics of popular music. You see them in halftime shows at football games. Sex is used to sell everything from Cadillacs to hamburgers. See it all over the place. And then there was a time when pornography was only available in the back alleys, in the seedy adult bookstore places. But now with technology, the accessibility to that garbage is right there at your fingertips on your phone, your computer, your tablet. The statistics on pornography are staggering. 12% of all websites are pornographic. 4 million websites. 100 billion hours of pornography is available online. 30% of all web traffic is pornographic. One porn site averaged 1.68 million visits per hour for the entire year in 2013. 14.8 billion hits. It's all over the place. The stat that really broke my heart. Average age when a boy first views pornography in America. 11. 11. Average age. Oh, parents. You watch what your kids are looking at. You talk to them about these things. Online hookup sites. Cyber sex. It's everywhere. In a highly sexualized society such as ours, many women and men dress not just to be attractive and presentable, but to be seductive. 
My sisters in Christ, listen very carefully to me. There is a difference between dressing to look attractive and cute and dressing to look seductive. You check your heart on that. So it's all over the place. What do we do? Well, look what Jesus says in verse 29. Buckle up. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Those are some of the most radical words ever spoken. Oswald Chambers said, this line of discipline is the sternest one that ever struck mankind. Can you imagine the shock when Jesus spoke those words? How the audience would have reacted. And by the way, this isn't a one-time statement that Jesus made. It appears that he made this statement several times. In fact, later on in Matthew, he'll add the foot to the list of members of your body that you should cut off should it cause you to sin. Now, Jesus, please understand this, is not speaking literally here. Okay? Jesus is not commanding physical mutilation. A few Christians in history whose zeal greatly exceeded their wisdom mutilated themselves. Best known example is the third century scholar, Origin of Alexandria. Based on an over literal interpretation of this passage and of Matthew 19, this man actually made himself a eunuch. Not long after that, in AD 325, the Council of Nicaea was right to forbid this barbarous practice. Physical mutilation. That's not commanded. By the way, would that help? If you were to pluck out your eyeball, you still have your mind's eye. Now, Jesus is not saying this literally. This is an example of our Lord's use of dramatic figures of speech. This is hyperbole. This is shocking. He meant to shock you. He's saying take drastic measures in your life to guard your heart from sexual impurity. Be aggressively proactive from allowing that to take place in your mind and heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, if your right hand causes you to sin, that, that phrase, to cause you to sin, it's skandalizo in the Greek means to stumble or to trap. In fact, it comes from a word that speaks of those traps that you would set for an animal. You ever trapped an animal? Get this little cage, you put the bait in there, you set the trap, that's the word. It was also used to speak of the little trip wire that you might put across a pathway. Or you dig a pit and you cover it with 
brush and somebody walks along and falls into it. Get rid of anything in your life that traps you into that. That causes you to stumble in that. So, if going to a club or a bar causes you to fall into that, don't go. If certain movies or books or online content causes you to stumble, turn it off. If there's a channel on your cable TV that causes you to stumble, get rid of it. If there's a streaming service that causes you to stumble, get rid of it. Husband, wife, something that Kim and I have practiced our whole marriage. You make sure that those phones are open, those pads are open, those computers are open, both know passwords, they're in a very public place where you can check on each other. If you can't handle those things, you need to cut them off. Greatly limit your intake. Somebody starts hitting on you at the office, don't be flattered, be scared. Don't start being all flirty, friendly. Don't let those feelings begin to develop. Be radical and ruthless about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes, flee sexual immorality. Run from it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says to young Timothy, flee also youthful lusts. Grow up. Flee the youthful lusts. Take those precautions. Now, even with all of that, your space is still going to be invaded by seductive material. You can't shut yourself completely off from it. In that case, turn your gaze away. Let that first look be quick. Let it go off like water off a duck's back, as they say. And determine to do this before the temptations come. You know, Job, one of the righteous men who's ever lived in all of history, in Job chapter 31, Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? See, that's the key. My brother, my sister, you choose to do what's right before the temptation. I'm making a covenant with my eyes. Every day, I'm making a covenant with my eyes. I will look away. There are other very important steps that you can take to maintain sexual purity in your heart. Stay busy. Go to work and work hard. Come home and mow that lawn. Do that chore. Fill 
every waking hour of your life with good, productive activity. Serve at church. Serve at church. Serve in the soup kitchens. Do good things. Fall into bed exhausted at night from a day of good, hard, productive work. You know, it's been famously said, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. You know, speaking of the pornographic industry, guess what their highest year was? The most lucrative year that the pornographic industry has ever had in all of its history. Can you guess? 2020. Why? Everyone was idle. Sitting around the house, nothing to do. Fill your time. And and by the way, don't waste your life watching fictional characters on TV live fictional lives. Live your own. Fill your time. The other thing that you can do as a Christian is proactively, aggressively put good things in your mind. Good things. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. See, to win this battle, it's not just saying, I'm not going to think about these things. It's proactively thinking on good things. Do you know that there's still a lot of great stories to read? To watch on TV? A lot of good movies. A lot of good noble things. Choose those. Throw away the garbage. Choose the good things. My brother and sister in Christ, I think it's real important that we spend a lot of time in God's word. And There's even this thing called memorization and meditating. Psalm 119 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin. Against you. You know the power of putting God's word in your mind and heart and how that will help in your sexual purity. Proverbs chapter 4 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Oh, my brother and sister in Christ, protect that heart, guard it, don't let that filth in. Fill your mind with good things. Another principle to consider, and I might blush a little, but it needs to be said. Enjoy the pleasure of sex within your marriage. Romance one another, husband and wife. Date your mate. 
fulfill each other sexually. You know, there are some Christians that think the act of sex is dirty. Well, it's just for procreation. No, God gave it as a gift for us to enjoy fully within the context of marriage. You know, the devil is so shrewd. He does everything he can to encourage sex outside of marriage and discourage sex within marriage. Keep it in its place. This is something that is so important for us. This is something that we need to battle. This is something that we need to consider every day how to keep at heart and mind sexually pure. You know, it can it, it learn from the examples of others, learn from the, the guys that made the big mistakes. Remember the story of King David? I mean, this guy was a man of God. He was a man after God's own heart, the king of Israel. A good man. But you remember his story, right? The story starts off by saying, when everyone else was out to war, King David was at home, living an idle life. Roaming around his palace. That's mistake number one, right? He goes up on the rooftop of this palace. He looks and he sees a young, beautiful woman named Bathsheba bathing. Couldn't help the first look. But he went for the second, third, fourth look. His mind was filled with lust toward her, knowing she was married and that her husband was one of his most loyal soldiers away in battle, he still committed adultery with her, which, as you know, led to an unexpected pregnancy, then a whole bunch of lying and manipulation, and finally David had Bathsheba's husband murdered indirectly on the front lines the war. What a tragic story. Don't make the same mistake that David made. And then in the scripture, you also meet a man by the name of Joseph, a handsome, bright, godly, charismatic young man with a big smile on his face. Joseph. Remember, he began to work for a a guy called Potiphar in Egypt. Potiphar's wife wanted Joseph, filled with lust, made seductive passes at Joseph day after day after day, right there. And Joseph said no to it every time. And you remember how the story, at one point she cornered him in a bedroom chamber, grabbed him by his robe and said, lie with me. And he ran out of the room, remember? He, had to, he stripped on the way out. She took his robe. But he, he was out of there. He's fleeing sexual immorality. It can be done. My friend, 
the victory can be won in that area. Understand the importance of it. Understand the battle that we face. And if you're a Christian, understand that you also have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside you to help you. I'd like to close this morning with a wonderful thought. The blood of Jesus Christ washes away all sin. Amen. The blood of Jesus Christ washes away all sin. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world and all sin can be forgiven. Sexual sin. Anger. Bitterness, the greed, it can all be. You know, there's so much shame associated with sexual sin and lust. If the statistics are right, many people right here in this room struggle consistently with pornography. And maybe that's your struggle, and you live in a secret shame. There's forgiveness for you right there. The blood of Jesus Christ washes away all sin. Maybe you've had a past, a sordid history of sexual immorality, and you still struggle with it. Listen, the, the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away all that sin. Maybe your marriage is, has failed because of adultery. Maybe you did the cheating or someone else did the cheating. The blood of Jesus Christ washes away all sin. In fact, I've seen marriages who have gone through that horrible thing of adultery be healed and restored by the power of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're living, even today, a sexually immoral life and you feel dirty and shameful. You can be forgiven. By the blood of Jesus Christ. If you place your faith in Christ Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You are a born again child of God. Do not live in the shame. You're forgiven. You remember when that woman who was caught in the very act of adultery was brought to Jesus. You remember that story in John chapter 8. Jesus said to her, I do not condemn you, you're forgiven. But then what else did he say? Go and sin no more. In other words, take this area of your life seriously. Seek to be victorious. Take all those safeguards. But never, ever, ever forget that there is grace in the face of failure. If you struggle and you fall, you get back up and ask the Lord to help you. Again, I've said before, as you study the, the Sermon on the Mount, it takes, I don't know, this, this sermon takes me to my knees. Does it not take you? The standards, we can't keep this. And so this sermon should drive us to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and rose again that third day. 
Your only hope is in throwing yourself at the grace of Jesus Christ, asking him to be your savior, letting all of those sins be forgiven, and then becoming born again and having the Holy Spirit live in you. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. So, Father, we give you this area of our lives to you. Lord, protect marriages. Protect them. Protect this younger generation today from all of the sexual immorality that's so rampant. Lord, I pray that you would enable us all to to walk in victory in this area. We thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, it's amazing to think that even as you look inside each one of us and you see all those struggles with the anger and the hatred and the greed and the lust and all of the different things, you still love us. You died for us that we might be forgiven and be your children. And have the hope of heaven one day when there's no more sin. We thank you for that. If you're here this morning and you've not had your sins washed away. If the blood of Christ has not cleansed away all of your sin. Outer and inner. That can happen right now. The Bible says if you put your faith and trust in Jesus who died for you and rose again. You will become born again. Your sins, past, present, and future, will be forgiven. They'll be wiped away. You can become a brand new person. Have you received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I invite you to do so right now if you haven't. Quietness of your heart and a prayer that heaven will hear. Say, Lord Jesus, wash away all my sins. Forgive me of all my sins. Thank you for paying the price for all my sins. Dying on the cross for me. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Give me a brand new start. Give me the power to live a life that's pleasing to you. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Shall we stand together?